the message from Ephesians part two or part B. How many of you as parents remember standing up here on this stage or maybe in some other spot and dedicating yourselves as parents to raising your children well before God? How many of you have since that time found that job difficult? How many of you older ones whose children have grown up and left the house look back and think, you know what, there was a lot of stuff that I wish I had done differently? I think all of us as parents tend to be more aware of our shortcomings than aware of the things that we do well. And I've sometimes wondered if out of all the facets of life, there is not more grace extended from God into this area of parenting than there is to any other one. Uh, Evidence of that is the fact that you, so many of whom I enjoy and respect, were all raised by parents who were also imperfect. So there is grace. Well, today we come to the second of three passages in Ephesians that talk about the household. Last week in the sermon concerning marriage, I said this, if the gospel does not impact the home, it is useless to us. If our faith does not show up at home, then it is a sham everywhere else. And if we as a church are serious about prioritizing children and family and building faith at home, then we need these passages. And you know what? We do need these passages. We need these passages about parents and children. In fact, we might need it today more than ever before. This is not an easy time to be a parent, nor is it an easy time to be a child with a parent. Uh, Ed Weiss sent me a statistic this week that 94% of American prison inmates are male and that 85% of those grew up in a fatherless home. Now, if that is accurate, and I don't know if it is, I suspect that it is, that highlights for us the extreme impact that healthy or unhealthy or absent parents have on a child growing up. I could tell many stories of people that I know who have had terrible upbringings by their parents, stories of alcohol, stories of adultery, stories of just plain meanness, and their lives bear the scars of that. After becoming a parent for the first time myself seven years ago, I find myself observing parents and their interactions with their kids. Sometimes I'll observe a parent with their child, and I'll say to myself, whoa, parent, back off. Sometimes I'll observe, and I'll say, that kid is totally in charge. Just last weekend, I was camping with my two boys and observed an interaction between a dad and his toddler, his just-walking little son. He was trying to get his little son to walk over with him to where dad was sitting on a lawn chair. And the kid shrieked and threw a bit of a fit for a moment, and the dad shrugged his shoulders and walked away. And I thought to myself, um, that kid is totally in charge. Um, That kid has just learned that if he shrieks a little bit and throws a tantrum, he'll get what he wants. Now, it's dangerous, obviously, and I'm not in a position to judge a whole family dynamic based on an interaction, but an observation made an impression. Um, That same day, I watched an interaction between a mom and her daughter in the same pool, and I thought, they have a comfortable and a healthy relationship. That is a good mom. Um, Again, just an impression from a minor interaction, but I don't know if you as parents do this as well, but you observe and you notice parents and their kids. I can't help it in a way. 
But I know, too, that people can... People could observe any given moment in my own parenting and say, that is not good parenting. I mean, I'm, I'm very aware, I think, of my own failings as a parent, and I fail continually, or a lot. Um, the fact is that perfect parents just don't exist. If you look for one, you will not find them. And it's not easy being a dad, it's not easy being a mom, and it's not easy being a kid, either. Well, the God who is perfectly good and wise, who is desperately committed to what is good for us, has spoken a word to parents and to children, and it's to that word that we listen today. Okay, God hasn't written here a comprehensive description of the parent-child relationship, but he's given the children one instruction, to obey and honor, as we've already seen. And he gives parents two instructions. And if we put these instructions into practice, I think that it would radically alter the family landscape in our day. If we owned what was said here, parents and children would be happier, closer. There would be greater strength and harmony in the family. We would start raising up generation after generation of healthy and functioning adults. Prison population would go down. Therapy costs would go way down. Now, Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4 is pretty straightforward. Mutual submission out of reverence for Christ in the context of the family means that children honor and obey their parents and parents nurture their children. We've already looked at the child-directed text. Now God's word speaks to the parents. Specifically, it addresses the fathers, but it's fair to the spirit of the text to apply this to parents generally. Fathers, parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, there's two instructions here, and the first one is framed in the negative, interested, interestingly enough. It's a do not. It urges not the exercise of authority and power, but it's restraint. Do not provoke your children to anger. Now, this does not mean, of course, never do anything to which your child might respond in anger. If we, we couldn't parent if it meant that. My kids sometimes respond in anger when they have to have two bites of a meal they don't enjoy or when it's time to empty the dishwasher. But what the text is saying is something like this. Uh, in the culture to which this was first written, a father in the household, in the Roman culture, a father had absolute authority over his family. He had the authority to punish, to expel or disown, to enslave or even sentence to death his children. And the state would not interfere. That was the father's prerogative. And Ephesians 6 says, okay, this kind of authority is not to be abused. A father's discipline is never to be arbitrary or unkind never arise out of temper or reaction. And we all, as imperfect as we are, we know the difference between uh, a healthy discipline and a discipline that arises out of temper. I have raised my voice to my children, sometimes very intentionally, because I want them to know dad thinks this is serious, or I want to sound stern, and so I raise my voice. Sometimes I've raised my voice to my children because they've ticked me off, and I've reacted in anger to it. And I know the difference between those two things, and I hate it when I use my authority or power and just get angry at them. 
If I can't discipline myself, who am I to tell my kids that they need discipline, right? So parents, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not be unfair. Do not be unkind. Don't let your temper provoke temper in them. In other words, cultivate the kind of spirit in your relationship with your kids that does not provoke hostility, but evokes honor and obedience. Like the king who rules, but is a servant of the people. Do we know anyone like that, by the way? We've sung about him already today. So that's the first instruction. Do not provoke to anger. The second instruction is its positive counterpart. But instead, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The phrase bring them up is the same word that we saw in chapter 5, verse 29, where it's translated uh, nourish, or in the NIV, feeds. The idea is nurture. The job of the parent is to nurture, to nourish. It's a very tender word, and it means that we are always concerned, always concerned, with what is in the best interest of the child, what is good for them. Uh, I heard a great word picture of this a while ago from a friend of mine here in the congregation talking in the context of his relationship with his wife. But it's true with respect to our children as well. Imagine holding in your hand a rose blossom. And sometimes in our grip, and our authority, we begin to crush the blossom. But to hold it instead with an open hand, tenderly, supporting it, still holding it, but giving it the freedom to expand and grow and to open up. Our kids are blossoms. Sometimes we feel like they're blooming somethings, but they are blossoms. They are given to us to nourish, to nurture, to raise. But not just to raise and nurture generically. The Bible uses a couple of words here. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline, not as in punishment, but in training. And in fact, the NIV, which we read, uses the word training. And the primary idea behind it is the idea of correction. When a trainer trains an athlete, what does he do? He tries to correct the flaws in his swing or in her stroke. They primarily correct. And parents do that as well. Not in a constant stream of, hey, that's wrong, you're doing it wrong. But with a strong and tender, here, this is what it means to do it right. And the best tool in our training belt, in our discipline belt, the best tool we have is example. Here, son, watch how I relate to your mom and learn how to honor women. Here, daughter, this is what it looks like to persevere. Here, my child, this is patience. This is humility. This is excellence. This is faith. This is what it looks like to not avoid conflict, but to work through it in a way that's healthy. Here, watch me. This is how you know what's truly valuable or not. This is what it looks like to grieve. This is how you care for people. This is what wisdom looks like. This is what a marriage can be. This is how you respond to hardship. This is how you guard your speech and speak words that build up and don't cut down. Here, children, look at my life. This is what it looks like to live with Christ at the center. And we train them, which is not easy because it asks us to be in training ourselves. 
Would we live differently if we knew that our kids were watching us and learning from us what it looks like to have faith and to be in the world? Well, of course, they are watching. The other word, instruction, has to do with verbal teaching. Kids need to know about the Lord as well. Uh, there was a guy who was a committed Christian and wanted to be a witness in his workplace. But he thought, you know what, rather than preach at people, I'm just going to live a lifestyle that is godly and witness through how I live. And he tried his best to do that, and he did that for a number of years. And one day, his supervisor called him into, my, into his office and, uh, and, and sat him down and said, you know what, I just had some news I wanted to tell you this morning. Um, I became a Christian last week, and I wanted to tell somebody, and I wanted to tell you. And the worker said, you became a Christian? That's fantastic. I'm so pleased. I'm a Christian myself. And the supervisor, his jaw dropped and said, you are a Christian? I had no idea. I have thought all this time. I've been resisting God all this time because I thought, look, his life is all together. And if he can do it without Jesus, I can do it without God too. People need to hear the name of Jesus connected with our witness and our lifestyle. People need to know. And our kids need to know. They need to hear his name. They need to know the things about him. They need to hear the truth. And not just about Jesus himself either. We need to talk to them about other things. We talk to them about character. We talk to them about integrity, courage, goodness, and honor. Okay, kids need to be taught. And the primary arena for teaching kids is not the church. Guess what? It's the home. It's the family, which again asks us as parents, are we learning? Are we growing in these things? Now, having come this far, we have to remember, of course, that this verse in Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 4, is not its own book in the Bible. It doesn't stand by itself. This is a branch that grows out of the root and the tree that is a whole book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is all about our Father. Our parent, who loved us, who showed grace toward us, even though our sinfulness rightly stirred him to anger, he did not react or fly off the handle and just consign us all to hell. He thoughtfully, in accordance with his wisdom and the pleasure of his will, the scripture says, he thoughtfully adopted us as his children, placed us in Christ with full intent and full knowledge, he expressed kindness to us in Christ Jesus and thus modeled for us virtue and grace and goodness, love. He called us to a life that is noble, okay, a life that is right, a life that will go well for us. In other words, a life that is increasing in its fullness. And he did better than we could ever do as parents. For in addition, what has he done? He's given us himself. He's given us his own power in us. So this is not just a call to parents to try harder and to do better. We are, we are the blossom in the hand of God. And he says, you child, you obey me and honor me for this is right and it is good for you. Let me nurture you. And as I do, you will find yourself nurturing those I give to you. And so the commands, children obey your parents. Parents bring up your children in the Lord. These are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. His yoke is light, Scripture says, but they're invitations that drip with the grace of the book of Ephesians. And parents of adult children, you can still do this. 
train and teach as you yourselves continue to be children in the grace of God. And adult children of parents, the call to obedience might be different now that you have left the house, but the call to honor your parents is a lifelong thing. What does it look like for you to honor, to treat your parents with love and respect and goodness? And to taste the joy, parents and children, taste the joy of mutual submission out of reverence for Christ. I'm going to close by giving a few bullets, just five, that you as parents can put into practice starting today as we seek to parent well. Number one, love your spouse. The best gift that you can give to your, par- to your kids is a healthy marriage. It gives them the security that they need in order to grow up without fear. No matter how much you try to build into your kids directly, your greatest impact in forming their character and their emotional health will be as you build into your marriage and build into your spouse. Love your spouse. That's first. Secondly, read the Bible with them. Uh, There are better and worse children's Bibles, I think. Great ones are the Big Picture Story Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is in our library. Try to read Bibles that aren't just cute. Um, We have a children's Bible at home, and there's a story in there about Rebecca, who taught her sons Jacob and Esau to love and obey God. Well, as far as I can tell in the scripture, she did no such thing, and in fact, was a terrible model of parenting. So... Find children's Bibles that are accurate and scriptural. And as soon as they're old enough, start reading the actual text of the scripture. Last year, I started reading uh, Genesis with the boys, and right now we're in Ezra. So, so far, just reading the narrative parts, um, the stories. And we're even reading the war stories and the harder parts of scripture. I want, I want my kids to know the word of God, and I don't want them when they're adults to suddenly read some of this stuff and think, whoa, that's not the God that I knew when I was a kid. So read read God's word with your children. Number three, apologize to them. If you find that you are unnecessarily harsh or reacted to them in anger or frustration, let them know that you're aware of it. Don't be afraid of saying, look, I said that or was angry. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good mom. It's okay to say that, to apologize to our kids. Number four, Touch them. Kids, kids need touch. Touch your children. And they need different kinds of touch. James is a snuggler. Peter is a wrestler. James will curl up on my lap. Peter, I get to knock over. So be sure to touch your kids because we all need the physical touch from our parents. It expresses love. And then fifth and finally, listen to them doesn't mean just let them rattle off meaninglessly and try to give them your full attention the whole time. That, that would drain us unduly. There is a time to say, you know what, it's time to stop. It's time to stop talking. But try to take time to listen to them, to engage with them as people. Are you conscious of how much time you give your attention to your kids in these days? Listen to them. Love your spouse. Read the scriptures to them. Apologize to them. Touch them and listen to them. 
These are just a few ideas. You will have your own ideas for how to love your kids. Your, your context and your situation is unique. But parents, nurture your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord as you yourself are loved by a father who is God. Let's pray.